Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're continuing on today with our exploration, which is not every episode, but has been a little bit more frequently than I've been in the past of thinking about artificial intelligence, generative AI, and the role that's playing in education. And so if you're interested in that topic, you can certainly circle back to catch some of our previous episodes where we get into what is generative AI, talking about artificial intelligence. We've did one on policy, uh, but today we're going to really focus in on some practical everyday strategies really that teachers could utilize things like chat GPT to give them ideas in their classroom. And so I'm really grateful uh, to Katie Nieves Liquinko, who is a teacher coordinator of education technology integration uh, for joining us. Um, we really connected sort of virtually, I guess, because I got a chance to hear her in a webinar and so followed up and she's gracious enough to give us a little bit of her time. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited too, because I learned so much from that webinar, as you are someone who is an expert in uh, inclusion, and we're going to talk UDL on the podcast today, and thinking about how to leverage AI to support some of that work. And so with all of those things going on, Katie, can you give us a little bit of your backstory in education? Sure. So I started off as a special education middle school teacher. I did that for about six years, seven years, I always lose track. I did it through the pandemic, honestly. So what I was responsible for primarily in that role, I taught resource. So I know that's different from state to state. So pull out uh, support for language arts specifically. I co-taught in the inclusion setting for a variety of subjects in grade six through eight. I did, I think every subject except for math. So pretty much wherever they needed me, I was a co-teacher and I also taught reading intervention. So more of that one-on-one support. And then I decided when I was finishing up my doctorate in ed tech leadership that I wanted to transition to more the technology side. So I switched districts, switched positions and became the teacher coordinator of ed tech integration for a K-12 district in New Jersey, where I am now responsible for the professional development and training for 15 schools now. So that's been my role. During that time, I also got my Google Innovator and Trainer certification. So I'm big in those communities as well. And obviously I've been involved with ISTE for a while. And really all of the work that I feel like I do in education boils down to inclusion. I think that's just because of how long I spent special education. It holds a special place in my heart. And I always think back to how can we use technology to support students? That's really where all of my work kind of comes from. I love that. And to make some connections with some previous conversations as well, we did have Katie Novak on the podcast uh, maybe about a year ago or so, and we talked to UDL. And what's interesting to me as you're sharing your story, Katie, is that I came from an ELA classroom. I know Katie Novak came from an ELA classroom, and it sounds like you got a chance through that reading support role to really uh, maybe get a sense of there are just different strategies that learners need to employ to be successful, uh, which causes us as the practitioners in the room then to need to sort of diversify a little bit of what we're doing. And so I don't, I don't want to take too much of that, but, but where does that meet what your experience was in that previous role that kind of jump-started your walking this journey towards AI for inclusion? I really noticed that as well when I was in the classroom. There are so many, I always say I had to have like a disposal or a toolbox of strategies at all times because there were just so many different things that students needed, especially because most of the students I was working with were classified with a specific learning disability in 
like reading comprehension or fluency or something like that. Even in my, you know, science and socialist classes, that tended to be the diagnosis. Uh, but I just noticed there's so many different strategies that students need to be successful and what works for one student doesn't work for another student. And so there needs to be a wide variety in there, which is a lot of work on the part of the teacher. And I think it's only becoming more work, but I always talk about the toolbox and like, okay, well, this one didn't work. Let's grab another tool and try again. There was always something that needed to be tried and tested and see if it works for the student before we could move on. And I taught middle school. So they're pretty good about saying like, now that doesn't work for me at all. Like try something else <laughs> or like, oh, this does work for me. I've done it in the past. And it's like, okay, I'll take some of the guesswork out of it. But there was, there's so many strategies that are available and not everything works for every student. So that's, that's been a challenge. Uh, is it too far to say that the design work that goes into getting prepped and ready and providing these like myriad of different pathways or choices or whatever you might want to call those, that's tough. And I won't get too far down this radio, but AI hopefully will help make that faster and also like help us think more broadly. Would you agree in your experience as you're kind of leveraging that tool to, to work in that space? Oh, definitely. And I think the more consulting work I did in terms of like supporting students in the classroom, the time that it takes to get ready for that is always the biggest barrier. Like I haven't met a teacher yet who says like, there's, I'm not doing that. I don't want to help students. It's always, I want to help the students, but I don't have a planning period or I want to help the students, but I just don't have the time to build out all these resources and all these supports. So when AI started, I mean, obviously AI has been around for a while, but when it started becoming more, I guess there would be mainstream, more commonly discussed. I think that I was drawn to it because I was like, wait, how can we make this easier for teachers? And my mind always goes to how can we make it easier to provide these different supports? And that's where AI kind of like dove right in and was able to help out. I love that. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're having a chance to chat today <laughs> because I, I think that teachers are hearing that this technology can make their work easier and enhance what they're doing. And it's not going to have to be a dramatic shift from what they've done previously, but Probably are just seeing at this time, at least, gosh, it's a cheating tool for students. And so how do we start to like think about that interplay between doing the work that you've done, but also allowing this to sort of be your assistant in some regards and maybe to talk about that specifically where, where the rubber meets the road with the work that we're doing. We probably need to do a quick recap on UDL, right? Because that's where we're going to go for today's episode is to sort of break these down into those different pieces of that. So can you talk us through UDL for those that maybe aren't familiar? Yeah, we could do a brief overview. UDL, I always like to say, is the framework that teachers should consider before they start the planning process. So whereas other supportive learning frameworks like differentiation, personalized learning, that really requires you to almost do it after the fact or involves more one-on-one -on -one planning with an individual student, UDL is something that can be applied to every student and you could think about it as soon as you start the planning process. Uh, so it really has three pillars. You have your multiple means of representation. So how can you present the information in a different way that might engage different types of learners and students? Though you have multiple means of engagement. So how can you connect student interests and their motivations for learning into your lesson? And then also what are your multiple means of action and expression? How can you give students different ways to show what they've learned and how they're progressing? I like to think about the fact that you want to identify some potential barriers that will exist to the content before you actually teach the content. So instead of having to go in and say, I taught this lesson, they're not getting X, Y, and Z, before you even teach it, you would say, okay, these are some things I think might be common barriers. What are some ways I can help overcome those barriers before I even start teaching? 
So it's really a nice frame of mind to think about before you start the design process and during the design process, before you actually get into the classroom and start teaching a lesson. Yeah, and that proactive approach, just to drive this towards a question, is important and not additional work because typically we tend to do that work reactively and somewhat a little, at least I'm going to speak personally to my experiences, were a little more haphazardly when it was reactive versus trying to sit down up front and anticipate some of those other things that might help learners access what we're doing from the start. Is that your yeah, experience I would as say well? That's what I noticed, especially in the first couple of years of teaching when, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest, I went to school for elementary and special education. And special education was kind of just like thrown in there. There were a couple of classes for certification and that was it. And I did do practicum in it, which really did help in student teaching. But like getting into the classroom, I would teach a lesson and then I'm like, okay, we didn't get this, this, and this. And then like, I'm scrambling the next mm -hmm. night to replan for the next day because what I originally planned isn't going to work because they didn't get it uh, or some students didn't get it. So yeah, this, it really did help me when I was planning out a whole unit to be able to say, this is what I think they're not going to understand or some students might not understand. Here's the way to support them with that. And then I didn't have to do as much late night planning for the next day scrambling that I'm sure a lot of teachers are doing. Yeah. And the, as you said, kind of getting the the space, the time to do that is a little bit tough uh, and also to anticipate those things. And sometimes it is iterative. You have to kind of go through that experience a few times to start to see those places that you might not have identified uh, on the front end. But let's start with representation, for example. How might AI help educators in that pre-lesson design process? So when I think about representation, I think about, I did a lot of work with my students needed a lot of help with background knowledge building. That was a big barrier across the board, across subjects was that they were lacking the background knowledge to understand the concept. So teaching the concept didn't make a difference because they were lacking that background knowledge to fully understand it. So when I think about representation, I think about finding different ways to introduce a topic to students. And a lot of times that involves the teacher having to go out and search. And I always suggest finding multiple modalities within that. So give them a podcast, give them a video, give them an infographic, give them an article, you know, let's vary the ways that they're getting that background knowledge and let them choose. I always used to create like a table on a Google doc and I would just have like icons and they would click the ones that they wanted to learn more about to explore before we taught the topic. But what's nice about AI is that like, I used to spend the time doing that myself. Like I would go and say, okay, let me find a podcast. Let me listen to it. Make sure it's appropriate. Let me find a video. Let me make sure it's appropriate. Let me find an infographic. And I, I was doing all that linking myself. But a lot of AI platforms or that generative AI platforms can create that list for you. I mean, obviously, as the teacher, you still have to do your due diligence and go in and check and make sure it's appropriate, especially because I still find ChatGPT makes up some resources with links. And I'll click the link. And I'm like, that does not even exist. But it sounded good. Thanks. <laughs> um, not always, but sometimes. So that's like a nice, easy way to get a curated list just to say, and I, I usually just put in a prompt, like I want to teach students about, and I always use this example because I was ELA and I was thinking about the last book I read before I transitioned out of the classroom. I want to teach them about the water bears. And I was like, they're not going to understand the metaphor in this book if they don't know what that even is. So like, what are videos, podcasts, infographics? And I would just list all of them that teach you about this topic. And I would get a nice list. I could go through, pick the ones that are appropriate. You can even go as far as to say like that are appropriate for this grade level. So that you're not getting like an adult version or something. Google Bard is pretty good about getting like a nice curated list because they have that built in. Like this is where I found it on the web feature. So that's a nice way to do that. But on top of that, there's other things too. 
uh, representation also has to deal with pulling out key information in articles, which you could throw an article into ChatGPT or BARD and have it extract bullet points for you to make it easier for students, get up to students before they read an article. So there's a lot of different ways that you could really present the information in a diverse way, but utilizing that AI. That second example you gave that really stood out in the webinar to me as being one that yeah, I could see being incredibly helpful to drop the passage in there. And then some of those, because you often see those in the teacher guide, right? That there's like yeah. key concepts, questions to ask, and it will be able to create some of those for you. Double check them always, uh, as we say, yes. but um, uh, love that. And I too think back to my days in the classroom where with those resources, it's tough because sometimes if one student chooses a video and another one chooses to read something, you want there to be at least some consistency with regards to the main points. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I do think that there's ways to leverage generative AI so that you can almost make the same version of the content, uh, but in different spaces. And I, I even think of like, uh, and maybe this was from the webinar, so I'm going to give you a nod if this is the case, but like hearing about being able to take a YouTube video, for example, and that transcript and then load that in to sort of do some different things. Was that, is that something that you have experience with or uh, might've been from you that I learned that quite frankly? <laughs> I've, I've done that. And I can't remember if I said it or if I mentioned somebody else saying it to me, but I have done that with plugging in a video. I, I think I did mention it in the webinar and I think about it, but yeah, I, you plug in the YouTube video link and you can get that transcript pulled up. I mean, YouTube does have some built-in transcripts for closed captioning already, which is nice, not always perfect, but it's there. But for the ones that don't, at least it gets you started. It's better than just throwing out a video and having nothing. Like at least it'll start to pick up. Even if there's a couple words here and there that are incorrect, you can also throw it then back in and have the grammar check it, which is nice too. Yeah, it gives you a chance to say, okay, I'm gonna make sure that all these pieces have the same key points in them, or you can diversify too and expect learners to access a couple of those to round out their thinking, I know. Yeah, what else would you sort of say with regards to representation? Those are the big ones. I really like the idea of, I, I, it's the ELA background, but I always go back to throwing in texts into it just because, I mean, I think that is just so universal across the board. Even if we're not teaching ELA, we're doing reading to some extent, whether it's science, social studies, an elective class, you're doing reading. So I, I do think about even the fact that you can break down some of the skills that students are learning to really think about what are some other options I can provide them to teach this skill. So like, for example, I've worked with so many great co-teachers and a lot of them are such content area experts, which is awesome. Like they're just so knowledgeable about science and history and like this specific era or you know topic, but then they can get a student who isn't grasping it. And they're just so knowledgeable that it's like, well, how do I just, how do I break this down even further for the student? And AI can do that for you. Like, how can I further break down the skill of this? And most of my examples from that webinar were related to ELA, just because that's where I am the strongest since I did the most work. But even things like, you know, how do I break down the concept of theme? That's so abstract. Like just giving them a video on it may not necessarily help, but like, what are some strategies that I can do to break this down further? And what I found by plugging in that type of prompt is that the AI will spit back then for you you know, here's ways to break it down. And they'll give you multiple ways to kind of break it down for students so that you have those strategies, like I said, in the, in the toolbox earlier that you can pull from when you're with a student to say, oh, they're not getting it. Like, oh, I hear something I can do really quick on the fly and figure out. Uh, so that is something else for representation, just like diversifying how you present it, but not having to think of all of those yourself because that's a lot to do in the moment. 
Yeah, that is a, another great suggestion. And it I love that we're having a chance to do this on the podcast today and share this out because this is the type of thing that I certainly want to be clear with this too. We're not at the point for today's conversation where we're talking about empowering students to interact with this tool. And that's kind of up to your district and your own context. But these are all great ideas or professional learning through leveraging generative AI so that we can, yeah, uh, help it support our work. And so there's some great ideas for representation. For moving on to engagement next, uh, what would you say with regards to kind of student interest? Yeah, how we might lean on that tool to enhance the work we're doing there? So when I think about student engagement, obviously interest is the first thing that comes up, especially, you know, I always go back to my middle schoolers. They had very specific interests. They were really passionate about those interests. And I'll be honest, most of the time, their interests don't align with my interests. And I think that's pretty common. So sometimes it's hard to sit there and say like, well, then how do I, how do I incorporate this into what I'm teaching? And what AI can do, which is pretty awesome, is I'd put in a prompt like, how can I teach the concept of, I think I threw in in the video, connotation and denotation to a student who loves football. Like, I'll be honest, that's not my sport. I do not know a lot about football, but I could throw it into chat GPT or Bard and say like, okay, this is what we're teaching. I'm teaching this topic. How does this connect to this? And it gave me a bunch of ideas for how the concept of connotation and like the feelings associated with words could connect to football terms and football fan bases and teams. And I'm like, I didn't even think about that. And I've thrown in like prompts for random things. Like I was like, if a student is interested in like a specific animal, like how do I teach this in relation to the topic that I'm teaching? And you can be very specific about the interest and the topic and even the grade level too. Like I have a middle school student who loves this. How do I connect that to this, which is what I'm teaching? Um, I've done it for history prompts. I'm trying to think of specific examples for that. I've done it with science prompts just to see what it would look like. And it usually comes out with a pretty good connection. So like when you're trying to reach that student who's just not motivated to learn, you can build in those examples then and throw it into the lesson. And they might be more engaged because they feel a connection to that topic, but it's still getting across your material at the same time. Would you say this could also apply to word problems in math? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. AI is great for generating word problems, but then like saying like, yeah, here's the skill I'm teaching. Here's the topic I want to embed. And you can throw in the word problem that way. Yeah, definitely. It's really good about coming up with word problems and things like that. So that'd be perfect. Yeah. And maybe something that educators can consider because I know here in Nebraska where I'm at, uh, school started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and some of the places that I've had the opportunity to visit with folks, they're like, no, we still have a couple of weeks before school starts. Uh, and so we'll just call it as the start of the year rolls out. Great time to survey your learners and find out what their interests are. Maybe uh, if it sounds like, gosh, I don't know if I can create a word problem for every one of my, let's say 200 students or something you might have. Just maybe even tailoring it to those top interests that are most represented there and and giving students some choice uh, so that they can maybe find something that if, even if it's not their favorite thing, it might be something they can connect to more than what you had to begin with. Any other little like suggestions maybe along those lines that would help take this output from the tool and get that in front of learners or another idea too, as it pertains to engagement? That's my big one for engagement because it's student interest based. And, and I know that is a challenge for a lot of teachers because, yeah, you have 200 students, more than two, depending on the teacher. How do I fit that in for all my students? I always did like a Google form at the beginning of the year. And then you for all my students at one one place, it was all at a glance. But I also did like student interest profiles or learner profiles that they would update throughout the year because 
you know, their their interests change like every five seconds sometimes. <laughs> and what they said at the beginning of the year, like by especially like you know, I taught sixth, so by the beginning of the year they had like one thing, and at the end of the year they're like, I don't, I never liked that. What were you talking about? Like, <laughs> so it's nice to have that AI tool to be able to juggle and adjust as you know their interests change too. Um, from an engagement perspective, too, you could do a lot with providing supplemental support for students with AI. So, I mean, it kind of fits in with motivations for learning and, you know, motivating them to feel successful and accomplished while they're learning. There's a lot that can be done with AI, putting the text, putting the URLs, the article in there. For example, you can do a lot with simplifying or extending text. That's a big thing, which, I mean, it kind of, that kind of goes under representation too. But then also on top of that, there's uh, the opportunity to relate to experiences, which is connection as well. So not only saying their interests, but also, you know, how do I connect this topic to a student who has experiences with this? Or how do I connect this book to students who haven't ever experienced this? So those kind of prompts also really work with engagement. Would you say that makes me think of like cross-curricular courses where sometimes it is challenging for the English teacher and social studies teacher to find some of that coursework is overlaps. Maybe that would be a place too to do something like you're sharing there. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it would be great for cross-curricular connections. Yeah, because I'll, I'll be honest, like when I was connecting things to science and social studies, I always had an easier time because I was co-teaching it. So I'm like, okay, I know exactly what they're doing. Throwing in the math. I'm like, I don't even like, I haven't done the math standards in so long. Like, how do I connect what I'm doing with reading literature and metaphor and simile and figure of language and all that stuff to math? But I want them to have that connection, especially within special education, because you want to have that repetition over and over again. So they're seeing it across the board. That would be perfect for an AI system to go through to say, what are some, or I'm doing this project, what are some math connections I can bring in? Because that was, that's, I'll be honest, that's my weak spot. Or even just science or social studies or art or whatever you want to bring into that project that you're doing. That is so cool. And again, a time saver, uh, because it would take a lot of lift and collaboration and just getting yourself caught up to speed on the topic uh, to be able to even step into those spaces. And so uh, we've covered representation, we've covered engagement. Let's talk a little bit action and expression next uh, as students kind of show what they know. I really love action and expression just because I had a very project-based classroom. We did a lot of projects where students got to pick what they were doing. I was big in the 20 time genius hour movement. We were doing that every Friday. So I, I love the opportunity to give students different ways to show what they're learning because most of the time my students struggled with writing. And so just having a piece of writing demonstrate their knowledge wasn't enough for me because for a lot of students that was a weak point and they could do argument techniques, but not in their writing. They could do it through speech. They could do it through, you know, some other medium through analysis of, you know, analyzing ads and things like that. Like there was just so many other ways they could show what they learned. But it's hard a lot of times to come up with options for projects. Uh, usually teachers kind of do a one and done, like this is the project everybody's going to do. Maybe they let them be flexible in their medium, which is a, you know, UDL idea. The fact that you want them to all do this kind of project, but give them an option of how they produce it. But you could even go a step further with AI, which I really like. Um, I was really big on how can I make this authentic for them? Because I'll be honest, like writing literary analysis, that's great. They need to know how to do it. And if they're going to go to college, they have to know how to do it. It's important to analyze the text. Most of them are not going to go out and do that in real life. (laughs) Or they were like, why am I writing a character analysis essay? Am I ever going to have to use this? So 
one of the things AI can do is you could put in your skill you're trying to assess. Like I want students to be able to, here's the standard. I want them to be able to analyze character development over the course of a text. How does that connect to real life applications? And the AI will give you back some examples. So I am big on really using the AI as the inspiration, I would say in this case, like I'm not looking for specific projects. I'm not going to say what are projects that I could do to teach this. You could, but a lot of teachers do. I'm very controlling in how things look and how they're designed in my classroom. And I know some other teachers are too. Um, yep. So I just want the idea to kickstart my inspiration and then, and then the project will flow from there. So, you know, science, I am teaching this topic. Okay. Everybody's got to do the end of unit test. Okay. But I want to do another project that's more set on things that are going to connect to real life. How can I teach? I think in the webinar, I used electricity and magnetism or well, wave spectrum or something like that. Like, how does wave spectrum connect to real life topics? And there's a whole list. And then that's a great way to bring in real life applications to get students, you know, choosing to research or, you know, design an experiment around those real life applications as opposed to a traditional test where they get to choose how they're demonstrating their knowledge. It also kind of connects to engagement then too, because they might be more motivated to learn because it's real life application based. But that's, that's one of the big ways that stands out to me. Okay, so you could certainly use this almost at every step along the way in support of your work. So I'm going to use like your wavelengths example there and say, right, you could create like I like synesthesia or Canva does this obviously as well, where you could uh, have an avatar speak. And so you can just type in what you wanted to say and make a video in a tenth of the time that it probably I know I used to awkwardly sit in front of my camera at my kitchen table recording something that was terrible that I had to edit like crazy to get it polished or now you can do that stuff in like two minutes. So you could make the video that you could then put into some sort of context where the wavelengths and their interests uh, in the ways that you were speaking to a moment ago, and then the way that they're going to express this then in showing what they know would be something that could be suggested uh, by AI, right? Uh, like every step yeah. along the way for something that is the very same topic across all of those. Yeah, it really, it really could span all the way across. Yeah, I like to think about like, you could use the AI to give them the background to learn about the topic, then connect it to their interests. And then, yeah, use the AI to build those choice board options or pathways that you want students to kind of explore. For a little while, I taught summer school at a private gifted and talented program. And one of the things was create a whole curriculum for the students in this content area based on their individual interest. And this would have been perfect for that because it was always a struggle for me to say like, oh, they love this and we're learning about this in genetics. And I don't know how to make that bridge and I don't know how to help them or they struggle with coming up with, well, I don't know how to demonstrate my knowledge. I don't know what I'm interested in. So this would be a great way to just throw out some ideas for them to kind of get started from there. And would you go so far as to say that we could use AI to develop the rubrics for grading? You could, you could. Yeah. Cause, cause sometimes that's a struggle. And I know, I know there's pushback on using sometimes AI generated things. Like some people are fully against the creation of the lesson plans and the rubrics. Um, but again, I think it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with starting it from a place of, you know, it's starting point. It's starting point mm -hmm. pretty much. You can look at it and say, Oh, you know, I'd never even thought about including that category on this rubric or they forgot this category. And this is a category that's really important to my learning objective. I'm going to add it in, but it's a great starting point. Like, yeah, give me, create me a five category rubric on a four point scale for this type of project. It's universal across projects. And it's, it's a, it's a nice starting off point. And so many of the AI platforms have, you know, a regenerate option 
So sometimes I look at that and I'm like, oh, that is a terrible suggestion. Like I would not <laughs> do that whatsoever. So I'd like, I'll hit regenerate. And I'm like, you know what? That category they suggested, I did not even think about. I'm going to throw that in there and modify it and make it what I need it to be. It's for me, I feel like it's no different than like Googling different rubrics and seeing what other people have done. It's just in a quicker format without having to do that deep dive and search. Absolutely. And for folks that are maybe not as familiar with Google Bard as they are with ChatGPT, Google Bard, if I'm not mistaken, gives you those multiple options kind of accessible right there on the screen, right? You want to speak to that as a Google expert yourself? <laughs> yeah, I do. I really enjoy Google Bard. That was actually the first generative AI I played around with before ChatGPT even, which I know most people are the reverse, but I was like, oh, I want to try Google Bard. And it's come a long way since it first started in beta mode. But it does have the multiple drafts options. Like in the corner, when you see a response, it'll say show other drafts. And usually there's three drafts that you can look at. And there's some overlap between those three drafts usually. But if you're looking at something and you're like, this is totally off and I don't want, you know, you could always reprompt, obviously, too, in that case. But sometimes it's like, you know, that, that one sentence, I just don't like the way that sounds. I'll, you know, check the other drafts and see what it says. Um, and I'll do that. I'll do that a lot. If we're doing something with a text and I don't like how it summarized it or the key points it gave and the vocab it gave, I'll jump into the other drafts and see if there's a better option. And again, such a time saver with that. And one of the things that I have appreciated through your description of this action and expression, the possibilities there is just the focus on the standards and the skills. Because I think that as there is this sort of angst about, oh, are we going to start to allow the machine to think more than the learners? And, and what is that interplay going to look like? Uh, I do think that that's important to kind of keep those skills and standards, just as you illustrated here in our conversation at the forefront, but finding ways that that learning is still occurring with the AI coming alongside of it. We want to speak to some of that, I guess, because I'm hearing it in every it's second nature and that your response is there, I can tell. I hear that a lot too. When I talked about it, it's the pushback of, and I do agree. I'm not, I'm not fully blindly trusting AI and I would not recommend that to anybody, but in the same way that when you do a Google search, you know, you have to vet the searches that the results that come up, what are you going to trust? What are you not going to trust? You have to do the same for the AI. Like I'm not, and I would never throw in a text, say like, Oh, modify this for me. And then just blindly print it out and give it to my students without looking at it. Like you're the expert and teachers are the experts, but it's again, a starting off point. I don't think it's going to overtake the teacher in any way. Um, you know, unless you, you would like it to, I mean, like, again, like, am I going to be the lesson planner who like plans on AI? No, because I'm very specific about how my things look and how it comes out. So I will use it as a tool to support me, but it's not going to be my be all end all. But I do hear that a lot. And I think that's the fear is it's going to fully overtake the teacher's job. And I'm, I'm like, no, it's, you know, it, it's what you put into it, honestly. And it's, it's how you want to use it. I always go back to when I repeat it a couple of times, I know, but it's a tool to start off, I think, to really get you the inspiration to move forward um, and to give you some new ideas that maybe you hadn't thought about. For me, it's like no different than me scrolling through my social media feeds for teachers and saying like, oh, that's a great idea. Like, let me save that. Or I didn't think about it that way. Let me save that for next year. Uh, so that's that's how I feel about it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard someone say to me recently too that if you take something from teachers pay teachers, you're really relying on one individual's perception of what is an accurate uh, assessment for a fourth grade of a particular standard where with a tool like this, uh, being able to, as you mentioned earlier, right? Like level it up or down in terms of Lexile or grade level. Uh, and trying to like tailor it to interests uh, and just knowing that it's sort of pulling from a much broader perspective is a great starting point. 
but uh, certainly a tool worth us taking some time to invest in. And one quick question before we kind of get to maybe the the close. I, through this dialogue, have found myself operating from that classroom gen ed teacher perspective. And as someone who maybe is there as a co-teacher or someone uh, who is in support of a group of students or even individual students, I'm sure they can take the examples that we have shared thus far and apply it. Uh, But is there anything from that special education educator role that you feel like is worth giving some space and some time to as well? Because this tool has its applicability across all the different roles that support kids. Oh, yeah, definitely. It it really is an an across the board, I think, thing. And a lot of the strategies can be applicable at gen ed, special ed, regardless. I do think from, especially from a co-teacher perspective, it just, it makes it so much easier because, and and my doctoral research is in co-teaching. That's something that I'm heavily invested in. So I know that I'm from firsthand experience. I know the barriers that exist. I know what it looks like across the country and how the different things teachers are experiencing. It just it makes it easier in terms of coming into a classroom when you don't have co-planning time and you've never, you haven't talked to your co-teacher that week and you have no idea what you're doing aside from maybe they shared the lesson plan with you and you come in, they're like, I found this great article. We're going to read this today. And you're like, I haven't read that article yet. Like, and I can't modify it for my students on the fly. And I used to sit in the back of the room and I'm like, let me modify it real quick and throw in some like some highlights and pull out some key things to make it a little bit easier. Throw it into the AI just to make it a little bit easier. Cause it's so much quicker for you to read through it and verify that it's okay than to redo the whole thing yourself. Even just to say like, you know, pull out your keywords, pull out your key details, pull out your vocab with your definitions and the sentences and context that the students have that and then push it out through your LMS just to make it easier. Um, But even things like building that toolbox. If you're sitting there in a small group and you're like, they're just not getting it. And and I've had, I've made so many decisions today and I just can't think through what's the best way to reach them within this topic just throw it in to an AI system be like, what are some good ways or hands-on ways to teach this skill? It'll, it'll come up with some extra supportive ideas that you could be like, okay, you know what, let's, let's try it. Just go down the board instead of having to pause, regroup tomorrow, try again. Like there are some things you could try on the fly. Like I really think that it could provide some ways to add some supportive strategies to your toolbox. Maybe they're not evidence-based. That is the only thing depending on where it's pulling from it may be pulling from like blog posts and things online so maybe it's not evidence-based but you as it's you know a professional you can look and say like oh that is not going to work for my students or yes you know what let's let's give that a shot or I forgot about this strategy this is something I was thinking about last year and I forgot that that totally worked let's try it again it's just a really nice like on the fly support which I appreciate and you need in an inclusion classroom because things happen all the time <laughs> yeah. And with such, I don't know, learner variability suggests that different strategies need to be employed, even when there is a, a best practice, a evidence-based. And I, I think that there's still sometimes, not always, but that one student that paired with that one strategy could really unlock things for them. And so really grateful to have had the opportunity today to chat with you, to learn a little bit more, to point folks in this direction, hopefully for special education teachers, classroom practitioners as well be able to go, oh, I do kind of see how this might help support the work that I'm doing, enhance it. Uh, And what would you, you know, as we kind of bring today's episode to a close that you'd leave as either a little call to action or a message for teachers who are are listening to this and maybe a little more interested now. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm interested. I got a bunch of ideas that came as a result of today's conversation uh, in utilizing this tool more as we progress in the profession. 
I would say, I obviously always just say, just, just try it out first. I, I just jump right in and try it. I don't know. I mean, that's the technology person in me. That's like, I'm just going to jump in and try it again. Not that I just follow anything that pops up and say, it's the, you know, everything in technology is great. Obviously we have barriers we need to consider, especially with AI, but I think there's nothing wrong with jumping in and trying it and seeing how it's going to work and just use it as a starting point. I need to get some inspiration today for teaching this. Start with, and if you're hesitant, I always say start with something, a lesson you don't like to teach and see if you can find a maybe more interesting or engaging way to introduce students to the topic or something new you hadn't thought about. It really helps then to bring the technology in because you're not feeling like, oh, it's going against something that I love to teach that I like to teach this way. It's like, you know what? This is a subject. This is a content area within my subject that I'm like, eh, it's not that not my favorite. So let's, let's see what AI has to say for some recommendations. So I would just say, jump in, try it as the teacher, just because, you know, there's no age restrictions, things like that, where I'm being the teacher. So that, that would be my recommendation, I think, to start off. Terrific. Well, Katie, thank you so much for your time. I know everybody is busy and yourself included with all the different things that uh, go into the start of a school year. But I know that our listenership will really appreciate uh, the ideas and your leadership in this space. So thank you so much. Oh, for folks that want to continue to stay connected and learn from you, where else can folks find you and learn more? Sure. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'll be honest, I was more active on Twitter than Instagram. I need to get better about posting on Instagram. Uh, My handle is ms underscore k-a-t-i-e-n-i-e-v-e-s super long handle you could also just google my website uh it's katienieves.com i have a podcast about disability inclusion uh and accessibility uh called assembly inclusion which if you want to connect just to talk about disability related things that's what i talk about on there so you can also look that up uh those are the main ways to get in touch with me Terrific. I will be sure to put all that in the show notes. So for folks that are looking to connect with Katie and continue to learn with all the great things that she has to share, uh, make sure that you access those there. So Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the conversation. 